can go down for the kids' class. Well, good morning. Um, my name is Robert. I haven't been up here for five months. Um, glad to be back. And uh, so this is either going to be the best sermon ever or the worst, because uh, I haven't preached in five months. So I'm a little rusty. Uh, but want to wish a happy Father's Day to our fathers in the room. Uh, it's pretty amazing to see uh, some of the loving, committed, sacrificial dads that are in our church. And uh, we were just at the Thomases uh, just a couple of days ago bringing a meal and just seeing their third, Naomi, who's just this brand new baby, and just seeing them as a family and, and knowing that's just one example of many families that are uh, being uh, led and loved and in a way that honors Christ and is building up our kids. So, uh, exciting day, Father's Day. So, happy Father's Day. Um, we have been going through some of the short, shorter books of the New Testament uh, in our series called Brief. Uh, we've made it through Second John, and Gil preached an excellent sermon uh, on Third John uh, last Sunday that uh, kind of got us started in this book. I'm going to continue us in 3 John. If you would open up the, the 3 John in the, in the Bible there, that's going to help you. Um, it's toward the back. It's close to Revelation back there, if you go back to the New Testament. Um, so, so last week, uh, Gil preached on the first couple of verses, first few verses, and we learned that uh, John, the writer of the book, was rejoicing and just filled with joy because he had heard that Gaius, this one who he probably was part uh, in, in part partly uh, had given the gospel to Gaius is what I'm thinking, and he says, "I heard you're walking in the truth." So not only did you profess faith in Jesus when I knew you back in the day, but now you're walking in truth like a disciple of Jesus. And so when he hears that, he gets incredible joy. And and as I read that, I thought, "Wow, I." I, I, I know what that feels like on, on a lot of levels, but uh, especially as I was away and hearing that things are going well, right, that, that the leaders and the, the church is walking in the truth and listening to the sermons online and just, just, just rejoicing every week. Uh, and, and I think uh, I know exactly what John's saying, right? He's, he's like, I, I, I'm hearing from a distance, Gaius, that you're walking in the truth. I'm so glad. And that phrase, walking in the truth, that's a pretty broad phrase, we'd have to admit, right? Like, what does he mean? What did he hear uh, uh, that Gaius was doing? Was, did he hear that his prayer life had increased? I mean, that would be walking in the truth. Did he hear that his study of Scripture and application of Scripture had increased? That would be walking in the truth. Or that he's giving generously, or that he was a God-honoring husband. Or, you know, there, there's just a lot of things that it could have been that he had heard that, 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 that would come under that uh, topic or that phrase of walking in the truth. But in this text that we're looking at today, we actually see what it was that he heard that made him think, Gaius is walking in the truth. And what he heard was that Gaius was sacrificially giving to missions. That's what he heard. That's what caused him to go, oh, Gaius is walking in the truth and I'm filled with joy is that he's sacrificially giving his time and his resources for missions. Now, you say, what's missions? Well, missions is any time that a church is participating in sending out 
of someone from their congregation or po possibly they're partnering with some other congregations to send someone out to a place that doesn't yet have an adequate gospel witness. This has been a part of the church from the very beginning. Sending, sending people out with prayers and money and support and encouragement for the purpose of going somewhere else that doesn't have an adequate gospel witness. And this is what Gaius was doing. He was participating in the support of missionaries that were coming through, and he was offering them hospitality, and he was sending them out with, with resources. Now, what's adequate gospel witness? Right? Like, it's actually been quite a bit of work done and study trying to figure out what's the tipping point where a region has enough gospel witness, enough gospel preaching, uh, disciple-making churches to where they can kind of handle the mission on their own. And people like uh, the ministry Jer uh, Jericho uh, Project, I'm sorry, Joshua Project. Anybody, anybody have the Joshua Project app on their phone? A few of you? I've mentioned it about five times. So I, I put it on your phone, okay? This is the sixth time your pastor is saying, put Joshua Project app. I see Joanna pulling her phone out. That's totally appropriate right now. Get it on your phone, okay? Because it's going to give you a people group that's unreached or unengaged to pray for every day. How easy is that? And it's, it's really helpful to begin to get a sense of the, the global mission and, and folks that are out there that are making sure the gospel is getting to these unreached, unengaged. So I'm using that, those terms, unreached, unengaged, something that uh, Joshua Project uses. So unreached would be less than 2% of the population would be considered gospel-believing Christians, less than 2%. So because of that, they, they don't have the resources yet to, to really support the ongoing mission in their region, and so they need outside help, less than 2%. That would be unreached. Uh, New England is considered unreached. It's unreached. I mean, maybe you've been scratching your head. Why did the crumb rise come from, you know, Oklahoma 20 years ago to start a church in Amherst? Did they just think, well, that'd be fun. That would be so fun to just move 2,000 miles away from your familiar culture and your family and start from scratch in a crazy college town. Well, it, there was some fun, okay? I, I, you know, I, I don't want to deny that, that there was some fun, but... But the reason we did it is because this region is unreached. That there's not enough gospel mission, gospel witness to turn the, the, the tipping point, to get to the tipping point, right? And so some from the outside have to come in to be a part of that ongoing mission. We also work in large part, with the most unreached generation in American history. I don't know if you noticed that when summer came, 200 people from our usual attendance just disappeared. Why is that? Because those 200 were college students. And they represent the most unreached generation in American history. And we got 200 of them in our building listening to the gospel and going out and telling their friends about Jesus. It's awesome! It is awesome. And, and so, again, why are we here? We're here. This region's unreached. This population is unreached. When you look at the demographics in our town, 18 to 25, it's, it's just like this massive bar in the bar graph, right? 
It's unreached. Now, unengaged is in an even more dire situation. So not only do they not have folks that are from that region that can produce an adequate gospel witness, but they don't have outside help either. That's why they're called unengaged. There's not enough outside churches and ministries that are like, we're, we're sending people, we're sending resources, we're, we're sending gospel witness to, to get this to turn around, right? So we were actually in an unengaged region in uh, Western Asia not too long ago. During our uh, sabbatical, we spent uh, a week or so in a region, and it was in a country that, and I'm not going to tell you what it is because these uh, M's that are there, missionaries, uh, they are in danger if they get found out. Okay, and that's typical in an unengaged region. That's partly why it's unengaged, because it's, there's some danger there, right, in being a Christian. And, and so in that country that we were, there's, a, there's about 60 million, or eight, I'm sorry, 80 million, and in that 80 million, there's about 6,000 Christians. So they're not unreached, they're unengaged. They, they don't have enough of, uh, of, of Christians, gospel witness, to tip it. Right? In the city where we were, which is about 15 to 20 million, there were maybe 1,000 Christians. So here we are in, let's say, five college areas, about 100,000. And by my count, we've got about 1 to 2,000 gospel-believing Christians in this 100,000 population. And this city of, of 20 million has 1,000. They're, they're unengaged. So the, the, the church, the local church, is responsible and privileged to, to give the greatest gift you could ever give to unreached and unengaged people groups around the globe, and that's the gospel. And that takes prayer, and that takes money, and that takes going in order to bring that gospel to them. So, why do we do it, and what specifically do we do? That's answered in this text. Because you may be thinking, why, why do I care? You know, like, why do I care? And, and then if I do care, what do I do? That, though, that's all in this text. So it's a really, really helpful text. Listen, listen to the text again. I'll read through it again. Beloved, this is 3 John, verse 5. Beloved, it is a faithful thing you do in all your efforts for these brothers, strangers as they are. Okay, they're missionaries. They came coming through who testified to your love before the church. So they came back and they told everybody, Gaius did this thing. You will do well to send them on their journey in a manner worthy of God. For they've gone out, missionaries, right? They've gone out for the sake of the name, accepting nothing from the Gentiles. Therefore, we ought to support people like these, that we may be fellow workers for the truth. So here's, here's five reasons why we sacrificially support missions, the going out, sending of folks to places that don't have adequate gospel witness. So number one, because it's obedience to the command of God. Now that seems like the most <laughs> obvious. It's obedience to the command of God. Beloved, it's a faithful thing. That's what he's saying. It's a faithful thing. When, when, when you do what God asks you to do, you're being faithful. It's a faithful thing. 
That's the first reason. Uh, in Proverbs, which is a book on how to live wisely, uh, it says, let not, this is Proverbs 3.3, 3, let not steadfast love and faithfulness forsake you. Bind them around your neck, write them on the tablet of your heart. So over and over, there's this phrase of, of steadfast love and faithfulness, over and over and over. But this is what characterizes wise, godly, God-honoring people. And so it, it marries this sincere love with this sacrificial effort of being faithful to what we know God has commanded us to do and doing it out of sincere love. And so when he's saying in all his efforts, right, Gaius has been making efforts. He's not just giving lip service to the missionary endeavor. He's doing something about it. That's what it means when he said he's being faithful, right, this faithful thing. And he's doing it out of love, right, steadfast love, faithfulness. This is the second reason that we sacrificially support missions is because of love, because we love the missionaries that are on the field, and we also love the people that they're reaching. So it's not just, okay, God, you commanded us to do this missions thing, but it's because we also, we love. We love the missionaries, we love those that they reach. And he, he, he says, who testified to your love before the church. So he's not just saying they testified to your obedience, though it was, it was faithful, it was obedience, but it was also love that he showed the missionary. And so nothing kills the effectiveness of obedience like not being sincerely and genuinely loving in the midst of it. I mean, think about it, the fathers that got their little Father's Day surprise today, this morning, right? You got, the, you got this, this gift, and... Your, your child gives you the gift, and you're like, thank you so much. And your child's like, well, I'm your son, I'm your daughter, and that's my duty to give you a Father's Day gift. I didn't want to do it. I wanted to spend it on myself. But instead, I used my little $2, and I bought you a Who wants that? No one. And neither does a, a missionary. And neither does God, right? So he gives these, these gifts out of genuine, genuine love and sacrificial obedience, faithfulness. Um, the other can be true as well, where we, we say how much we love, but we don't back it up with action. That, that's also not helpful, right? We're like, oh, I love you so much. I'll shoot you a text and tell you that. I'm not against texting encouragements. Okay, I do it. I'll, if you need anything, just let me know. And the person's like, well, I need you to take care of my kids on Thursday. Ooh, I don't do kids. I don't do kids. I'm really struggling right now. I need, I need comfort. Like, I, need, I just need somebody to talk to. Ooh, my schedule is busy. I got Tuesday of next week open, and I'd be glad to comfort you on Tuesday. That, that's not helpful. That, that does not show genuine love, right? So, so both can be true, right? We can do the right thing and, and not for the right reasons, and we can like give lip service to the right reasons, but not really do the genuine thing. And, and this applies to all love, does it not? The way you love your spouse, the way you love your kids, the way you love your friends, 
the way you love each other in the church, the way you love those outside the church. It takes this sacrificial action and this genuine, sincere love. And when you put those together, man, it's powerful. It's powerful. And that's what Gaius did with those missionaries. He was faithful and loving at the same time. And when they got back to their home church, they were like, this Gaius, man, he was amazing. This is what he did for us as we were traveling and giving the gospel to those who didn't have an adequate gospel witness. So third reason, and this, this should not be surprising, right, is that we sacrificially support missions because it shows the worthiness of God. It shows the worthiness of God. You will do well to send them on their journey in a manner, quote, worthy of God. Not only is he doing something that is faithful, it's something that's loving, it's something that's making God look like who he really is, which is he's worthy. Right? We just sang a song about how worthy God is. Like, you're worthy of any song that I could ever sing, God. You're worthy of any breath. I could ever breathe. Lord, you are worthy of any check I could write. Oh, that wasn't in there. But it could be in there. You're worthy of of any sacrifice of my time for those that I love. Even strangers that I don't know that well that are on gospel mission, that are far away. You're worthy of that. And that, that was what Gaius was doing. He was making God look like who he really is, which is he's worthy. And he was sacrificing for that. It's, it's one of the reasons that, that we at Mercy House, we do something kind of crazy. We give 10% of any offering that comes in from folks that are part of our church. We give 10% of that away to other ministries outside. And you think, that's, that's kind of crazy. Like, wh- what are we doing here? Like, like, we're raising support from outside still as a church 20 years later, and we're giving away. Last, last year, we'll end, up, we'll end up giving about 32000 bucks to outside. And the reason is because it makes God worthy, it makes him look worthy. I mean, he is worthy, whether we think he is or not, or whether we act one way or the other. But what it does is it points to the worthiness of of God and the gospel mission that God is on around the globe. And so we as a church get the the privilege and the responsibility to participate in that kind of of giving. Now, the fourth thing of the why gives us some insight into what money should be used for. Number four, we sacrificially support missions for the sake of the name. So he says there, for they have gone out for the sake of the name. This is why people are sent out for the sake of the name. You say, what's the name? Whose name is it? It's Jesus. Anytime it's talking about the name, it's simply just talking about Jesus. We hear about this in Acts 4, uh, verse 11 and 12. Peter's giving a sermon. He says, This Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders, which has become the cornerstone. And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. So true missions is Christ-centered. 
It's Christ-centered. You're bringing the message of salvation through Christ's death on the cross for sinners to the nations. Now, sometimes people approach the church and, and they'll say, will, church, will you give us money for this sort of secular, non-Christian, humanitarian project? We say no every time. Not because we're against humanitarian stuff. We, we think humanitarian stuff should, should be done, but monies we're going to give towards something, it's going to have humanitarian action coupled with gospel proclamation in some way. Because if that group's not going out in the name, then we're not going to put money into that, right? And so th- this is an important part of the why. Why do we do missions? Because people need to hear about Christ. And if they don't have faith in Christ, they're separated from a holy God. And that's now and that's forevermore. So we want them to know the, the, the gospel. And so why do we support sacrificially Missions, because people need to hear about Jesus. They need to hear about the name. And then lastly, we sacrificially support missions because missions is meant to be a team effort. This is true throughout the New Testament and ongoing as well. Little phrase there, he, therefore we ought to support people like these, right? So there's that, this is the right thing to do. You ought to support people like these, these missionaries, that we may be fellow workers for the truth. So he's, he's saying Gaius is with his home church, and, and by his giving and support of mission work, they are partners, they are, are fellow workers with those that are out in these places that don't have an adequate gospel witness. It's a team approach to missions. You don't just throw the missionary out there and say, okay, hope it goes well. You, you support them, and you give them encouragement and prayer and money and whatever it is they need, right? The Apostle Paul was clear about this. He, he, uh, he wrote a whole book that was a thank you note for fundraising called Philippians. That's one of the things that Philippians is. I mean, it's more than that, but it's a thank you note, right? Philippians 4, 14, yet it was kind of you to share my trouble. And you Philippians yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving, except you only. Even in Thessalonica, you sent me help for my needs once and again. Isn't that a cool legacy that that local church in Philippi was the church that was resourcing the Apostle Paul? We don't have an Apostle Paul who's out there preaching Christ to those that don't have an adequate gospel witness. If we don't have Philippi and they're praying and they're giving... And that's their legacy. And they got it in the Bible, right? How cool is that? And so this, this is, this is the, the fifth reason. Because it's, it's supposed to be a team approach. It's not just people just going out by themselves and just trying to figure it out out there. It, 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 in partnership with local churches. And you can see Paul was hoping to have multiple churches partnering with him. But Philippi, for whatever reason, they, they got it. And they said, we're going to do what's right. We're going to do it out of love. We're going to do it because it's going to make God uh, worthy. We're going, to, we're going to do this because of the sake of the name. And they did it. And they did it as a partnership with Paul. There would be no mercy house if there weren't people that thought like this. As I said before, we, we've had outside support for 20 years 
right? You'll, you'll see in our uh, financial uh, update in the summit there, you'll see, uh, I think that slide's in there. Is there like a little financial slide there somewhere? Nope. Backward. Yeah, I, I know I'm out of order. Here we go. So Sunday offering, so that's you guys in-house, in uh, $324,000 and some change. And that is a huge increase, and it is something to celebrate, and we, we will, and we have been. I mean, you've been seeing the, the increase of, of the goals that we've, uh, that we've had, uh, some real income from uh, the boarding house and people that use this building sometimes. But look at our total expenses, right? We spent $588,000 last year, and it's like, oh, my math's not that good, but that don't work, right? But this is what came out, came from outside, over $200,000. Well, that's been going on for 20 years. Now, think about if your math's at least, you know, half as good as mine, you're like, whoa, that's like four million bucks. Yeah. Over 20 years. And these are folks that they're tithing at their church. So they give them 10% of their income at their church, many of them. And then on top of that, they want to give out of obedience, out of love to make God worthy to get the name out to an unreached group, people group like right here, and they're giving generously. That's why we're here. I, we, we, this church wouldn't be here. And I tell you that, not, not to shame you or, like, you, you know, come on, church, you can, but so that you can be hungry for that, right? This, this is walking in the truth. Long for that if, if you're not there already. Some of you are, and you know what I'm talking about. And you, you, you give generously, and you're like, I get it. It's hard, but it's such a privilege to participate and partner with these kinds of endeavors. So, so what do we what do we do um, if we're going to love well missionaries, support them? Um, in a phrase, we want to do the ministry of whatever, whatever they need. So if, if they need uh, to have peanut butter because they can't get peanut butter where they are, then you load up a bunch of peanut butter in your luggage when you go see them and you give them peanut butter, which is one of the things we did when we traveled overseas on this little mission trip we did. And the, the leader of the trip got lists and lists of what missionaries wanted and what kids wanted and what they missed about home. And, and so we all had a second piece of luggage that was filled with gifts. And it wasn't like, you know, diamonds and rubies. It was peanut butter and little toys. And, but it was such a blessing to those missionaries. It was like Christmas. It was a way to, to love them. Um, we, ba- we did some babysitting for them so they could go out. Like they're far, far from, from family and don't know a lot of people. And uh, some of them are just on the ground, just, just a short time. And so to have some, some people they could trust that could just take care of the kids and they could go out. And it was funny because they went out to dinner and we thought they're going to be back, you know, maybe two hours, three hours, four hours. Like, like they stayed out a long time, right? <laughs> And uh, it, it was so great because they needed it. They, 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 were, they were in such need of being able to just go out and have fun, um, which they went with, the, with their whole team, which I thought was kind of interesting. Like, they, they didn't want to just have, like, romantic dates. They were like, they still loved each other and wanted to just hang out without children hanging on them. So um, it, was, it was pretty awesome. We listened to a lot of struggles, and we, we gave them comfort and 
prayed over him. I mean, anytime one would share a need with me, I'd just say, Can I, I'd like to just pray for that need, and I'd just pray for him right there. And, you know, little tears every once in a while, and it just, they, they just needed to be loved. They needed to be ministered to. I, I was doing a, a FaceTime call with Jen and Andrew, who are in East Asia, and Jen and Andrew Holloway. Some of you know them. Uh, we've helped them with some uh, finances out of our church, probably help them again. Um, but they've been out on the field two years, and so it, it's, it's getting hard, harder than ever. And I was just chatting with them on, on FaceTime and, and praying with them. And um, they, one of the things they said to me, they said, you know, when, uh, when Melanie, when she, like, gets the, the update on email and she emails back and says, I'm praying this for you, and then I do it about half the time Melanie does it. But she's, they're like, that's so encouraging, right? So it's so encouraging. So it's just this little stuff. We just got to figure it out. Like, what is it? What is it that's going to help them? What is it that's going to encourage them? Um, just going to see them. So for some of us, you've got some resources. You get on a plane, you can go to those countries. And instead of taking a chill vacation, you can have a vacation and see a new place, but do so with some intentionality to encourage those that are out on the field. And of course, they need money. They need money. When he says, send them out in a manner worthy of God... I'm pretty sure that includes some cash. I'm pretty sure it's not just pat on the back. It's like, here's some cash. I want you to have enough to be adequately resourced for the next leg of the, of the trip. And again, the Apostle Paul to the Philippians, I've received full payment and more. I am well supplied, having received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice, acceptable and pleasing to God. He's well supplied. Those on the field doing missions, they should be well supplied. Sometimes we romanticize the poor missionary. We read missionary stories where missionaries have suffered and struggled, and we say, well, I guess that's in the job description. No. It doesn't have to be. And Paul here, at least at this point in his missionary journeys, is like, I'm well supplied. And so those who are back in sort of the comfort of their local setting that perhaps might have an adequate gospel witness are sending resources so that those that are in unreached, unengaged places can be adequately supplied. Now, you, you may be saying, I'm not even giving that generously to the church, much less to missions, right? Again, I don't I don't want you to be shamed. I don't want you to be condemned. I want you to be hungry to walk in this truth that I'm talking about this morning. Because the folks that I've seen walk in this truth of, of, of Jesus' generosity, it is world-changing. I don't want you to miss that. I don't want you to miss that. And I don't, I don't want you to miss... When you're standing before Jesus and Jesus says, okay, I gave you this, these many resources and you leveraged this for my mission at home and abroad. That's going to be a worthwhile moment. I don't think you'll look back and go, dang, why didn't I put more in the 501K? You're not going to do that. You're going to go, you're worthy. You're worthy. You're worthy. 
So as, as we leverage those resources, our time, our efforts, our, our, our money, uh, we want to make sure that we're doing, we're focusing our efforts to extend to unreached and unengaged. And we probably need to do a better job of that in our, in our own giving as a church and figuring out some of this, but we want to make sure that we're focusing, kind of laser light focusing those resources so that the unreached and the unengaged can be reached. Here's some of the places that we gave money last year. So we give to the cooperative program of the Southern Baptist Convention. That's our denomination. And so we give a percentage. So part of that 10% goes to them. They have 4,000 missionaries all over the world, many in unreached and unengaged places. So that's, that's one way that we can participate in that. They also planted 1,000 churches in North America last year. So, so some of our monies, you know, we're, we're part of that. Uh, we did some local stuff, Highland Baptist Church in Fitchburg, Mass., and Pleasant Street Baptist Church in Worcester, both uh, church planters that were then asked to take over dying churches, and they're revitalizing those churches, and they're both right near college campuses, and so we gave some grants to them to help them with their college ministry and engagement with students. That's part of what came out of that 30K. Uh, we're helping students go on mission, right? Many of you are, or some of you are mission partners, We've, met, we've had college students that are going out with crew and NAVs and, and other groups, and we're, we're supporting them with scholarships to some degree. Not a lot, but a little bit at least. And you guys that are mission partners, you're praying for those students and checking in with them, encouraging them. It's one of the ways we can participate in that mission. We supported Krista, Krista Webb while she was in the Dominican Republic, doing ministry there. Um, we have helped support Patrick Dibble, a student who graduated from UMass, served in Western uh, Asia, actually in the same city where we were, um, and he is wanting to do that again. He wants to go back to that country, actually serve in a different city, and we'll have an opportunity to, to help support him as he reached the uh, unengaged. Uh, we also helped a little bit with campus ministry workers here in the Valley, which, again, this region's unreached. I, I think this is a good use of at least some of our funds, and so Ben and Sarah Cardamonch that work for NAVS in, uh, in Vermont got a little bit, Billy and Gina, uh, Fitz and Liv, uh, these are folks that are part of our congregation but serve with campus ministries uh, on campuses, Chris and Katie Gow, Dave, David Ruth, Anthony Spina, Nathan Ives, uh, Aaron Fears was serving here in this region, he now serves uh, in North Carolina uh, with athletes there. And then some support for John and Laura Wildman, who are now back, but were in East Asia. And uh, we're definitely engaging with uh, the unreached. So there's some being done as, as a church. But I, as we look at this text and we hear about Gaius and we hear this call, I, I just want to stir in you a vision and a hunger to participate in an even greater way in the mission of God in, for the nations. So how do, how do we respond? I think we have to ask ourselves, am I walking in this truth? And to what degree? Am I walking in this truth? Am I leveraging anything for the gospel to get out to places that don't have adequate gospel witness? Am I praying for that country that comes up on my Joshua Project app? When somebody is, is in the church is being sent out, students are being sent out, missionaries come and, and talk to our church, and we get an opportunity to support them, am I sincerely praying and then giving to help them? Am I walking in that truth? And 
if you need to back up, you may need to say, well, I actually need to push toward tithing to my local church so then I can give to missions. Because until you're really supporting your local church, it's kind of silly to say, well, I'm going to go send money out here when I don't even faithfully give to the church. And I do want to encourage you to tithe. When I say tithe, I mean give 10% of your income. It's something that not a lot of Bible-believing Christians do around the nation. You can Google it. I didn't Google it. I really don't care how people are so nominal about giving. I don't want us to be like the rest of nominal Christianity. I want us to be red hot. And I want us to leverage our resources like crazy. And so the tithe is in the Old Testament, giving 10% of of your income. And when you move to the, the New Testament, what you see is really a call to be Jesus generous. To be generous like Jesus was generous to us. And when I think about, well, what, is that, what might that look like? I, I, I can't really get my head around less than 10%. Like, well, I'm going to give less than the Old Testament people of God. Now, some of you are you're like, well, we gave 2% last year, and you're telling me to give 10, and that's crazy, and now you just blew up my whole life. Look, and, I, and I've said this before, and, and, and I, I want to encourage you to begin to build toward that. So what if you said this year we're going to increase by 2%, the next year 2%, the next year 2%, the next year 2%, and in five years you're at 10? You could do that. And honestly, as a church, we, don't, we just don't have the, the deep pockets. So, so a lot of churches have these really deep pockets, and people are just kind of, you know, 10 people are like floating the church, and everyone else is like, woohoo, long for the ride. We don't have that option. And, and while we're so grateful for that fundraising that comes in, we cannot depend on it forever. And we're 20 years in. So we're having a little family conversation here. Hey, Pastor Rob is back. Okay, I know. You're like, I was singing like Father's Day sermon, be kind of like mushy. No. It's just what the text is, okay? I, I wasn't really planning this. I looked at the text. I'm like, oh, my goodness. I got to preach this first time back. But, hey, do what Jesus tells you, right? But, but, but don't, don't, walk away from, don't walk away from the sermon and go, well, he just doesn't know my finances, right? So, so here's what's happening right now. The people that feel like they're on the poor end of the scale are going, you don't know how little I make. I just can't make it. The people on the rich end of the scale are going, you don't know how, I make, how much I make. Like if I gave 10% to the church, man, that would be like tens of thousands of dollars. I know. And both would honor Jesus. Both would honor Jesus. I was having some conversations with some folks and they let it slip that campus ministry people who are raising support and tithing to the church, tithing 10% to the church of support that they raised. I'm like, praise be to Jesus. They showed God to be worthy. And so if, if I'm making you mad, let's, let's fight. Come on, in a loving family way, okay? Let's talk about it. But I'm just, we, we've, got, we've got to turn the tide and, and, and see uh, resources. I, I think we have the resources in this church body to do the core things. The, the three or four full-time staff workers, the facilities, 
And then we can take that fundraising and we can put it in things like interns and ways that we can get the gospel out instead of just how do we keep the lights on, right? And again, I know that there's some of you, you're like, you, you, you're like, amen, Robert, go get it, because you're there with me. And there are, there are a handful of families, they are like all into this whole tithing thing, and they're giving generously, and it's helpful. Now, I don't know their names, okay, so it's okay, I don't look at the names, but I do know there's a handful, and they are like all in. We need more than a handful, we need a, a number, as in all of you that are members of this church. And if you're not there right now, let's start working toward it. It's something that, that, that I bought into as a college student. It was introduced to me. I was like, okay, that's the way you do it. I'm doing it. And my first tithe was like $325. And it was from the 3000 bucks I made painting houses as a college student. And it felt like so much. I was just like, oh my gosh, I can't believe I'm giving $325. But I was like, I'm doing this. I'm not looking back. And it's hard. It's hard. It's probably harder now than it's ever been to do that because of, because of the, the financial constraints. But I think he's worthy. I know he's worthy. And I know when I stand before him and he says, look at these resources that you leveraged for the kingdom, that was, that was the right thing to do. And it showed him to be worthy and it got the name out to the nations. So, let's take sacrificial action. Let's pray. Let's give. Let's go. Some of you need to load up and go. Some of you need to load up and go long term. Like, you're called to missions, and you've been like fighting it, fighting it, fighting it, fighting it, and, and God's asking you, no, this is, your, this is your call. Get out of here. Go to the nations. And for others, maybe short-term. Like, load up. Go. Go encourage folks that are on the mission field. Go be a part of the missionary endeavors that are around the globe. We can help you do that if that's something that you want to do. Um, if you want to sit down and be a part of the conversation uh, for the next round of where do we give our money away, you can do that too. Let me know. I'd, I'd, I'd be happy to have you be a part. If you're a member of the church... You want to be a part of that conversation? I would love uh, for you to, to, to be a part of that. If you're not a member of the church, you should become a member of the church, and then you can ask me about being on this little mission conversation, okay? Because it's so important, right, how we steward those resources and send them out for the nations. Now, I know it's Father's Day, so I want to give a tip for how to be a good father, right? I, I, I want a couple of tips. So show your kid how to sacrifice for the gospel. That's the best tip I can give you regarding being a father. Show your children how to sacrifice for the gospel, right? Teach him or her to pray for those that are on the mission field. If you've never done that, start doing it. Pray, pick, pick one. If you need a, a suggestion, I'll give you some suggestions of who you could be praying for. And begin to pray for them with your kids. Teach them that you guys give sacrificially so that the gospel can go out to places with inadequate gospel witness. You may explain to them, we thought about going on the European vacation, but we're going to stay local this, this year because we gave a lot of money to missions. 
And we're not sad about that. That will help your child see how worthy God truly is. Load them up. Take them somewhere overseas. Serve with a missionary for a week, for two, for a month. I know this is not the usual parenting talk, okay? But, but if you're walking in this truth, fathers, and you care about this stuff, and, and you are participating in this, and you lead them to do the same. I was telling the, the, the children's workers downstairs, I'm like, you're teaching the future givers and goers. Tell them now about the mission that God is on for the nations, and teach them to give and teach them to go. I know some of you go, oh no, my kid's not going on the mission field. Well, you can confess that to God later and repent, okay? <laughs> because if that's his call for them, you better not get in the way. And so teaching them about the mission of God. Right? This, is, this is a vision of a mature Christian man, fathers. And some of you get this, and you're doing it, and it's bearing good fruit. But some are not. Again, just... Lay that at the foot of the cross this morning. As all of us, right? I, I was convicted by this text. I, I've been stirred in, in my commitment to missions. Um, I, I know that I need to lead you in a, in, a, in a greater way in this area. And so I'm repenting, I'm confessing right along with you, and I'm calling you to do the same. And if any church should get this, it should be us because we have been partnered with by so many people from the outside. So it, it ought to cause in us this desire to be that kind of church that's sending people out with our prayers and our gifts to the nations. And of course we would do that because God first did that for us. He showed his steadfast love and his faithfulness at the cross. Right? We, we're reminded about that as we come to this table. This is the Thursday night when he institutes this before the Friday that he dies. And he could have said, oh, I love you guys, which he did. He did say, I love you. You're my friends. So, so many things in the upper room discourse of, of John, actually. 14, 15, 16, 17. And he goes, I just love you guys so much. And then the next day on Friday, like, oh, I'm not doing the cross thing. That's too hard. That's not what he does. He shows them his love by doing what this represents, right? He takes bread and he breaks it and he gives it to them saying, take, eat. This is my body given for you. You talk about sacrificial giving. That's what he's doing. In the same way, he took the cup, and after he blessed the cup, he gave it to them, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood shed for you and for many for the forgiveness of sins. As often as you drink this, do this in remembrance of me. He's letting them know, look, I don't just say I love you. Tomorrow, I'm going to die on a cross, and I'm going to show it. And that generosity to us is what saves us. We were unreached. We were unengaged. He sent, God the Father sent His Son to come and get us. 
And as, as we confess, as we worship, to, to allow that to then produce in us a Jesus generosity. And it's along the lines of what I've been saying in the course of this sermon. So, so let's receive Jesus' generosity and let's allow that grace to transform us to offer this Jesus generosity. If you've never received that personally, become a Christian, I want to encourage you to do that. And instead of coming down here and getting bread and cup, which would say that you're a Christian, instead of that, why don't you receive Christ by faith at your seat and even perhaps come in the back there and talk to me or someone else and say, I'm ready. I'm ready to receive this generosity that's in the gospel of Jesus Christ, to be forgiven, to be given new life, and to now live by faith in this one that's been so generous. Those of us that know that generosity, we come down and we, we reenact it. And so what I encourage you to do is just come out with, up here with your hands open. Not, don't, don't grab it. Plus, we don't want all your germs in there, okay? So just, just open it and receive it. And it's just a symbol, a symbol of where you were at when you became a Christian. And it's a symbol of where you're at right now. Because you need sustaining grace from Jesus and you're receiving it as a gift. And then let that stir in you a generosity to both your brothers and sisters in Christ and for the global mission. Let's pray. Lord, I, I think about the conversation you had with your disciples in John 6 when people said, this is a hard teaching. And I, I know it is. I know it's hard for, for many to receive. But God, would you give us grace to, to not be squashed with shame and condemnation and not be puffed up with pride and I know better. But instead, God, help, help us be transformed, myself included, God, to confess, to repent, to move forward toward what it means to walk in your truth. And in this particular area, in, in all areas, of course, Lord, but as we look at this text, Lord, help us to walk in your truth with our generous giving, with our sacrificial going, Lord, with our prayers, with whatever is needed for the mission. And we pray your blessing over this bread and cup and over our time together with you and with one another. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.